Okay. If you look at the uh, at the second section on the paper, Bereshit Perek Lamedhei, starting from Pasuk Aleph. We'll go through the Pasukim quickly, and uh, we'll see what the issue is. We're not going to discuss tonight the Kum Alei Beit El, but we all understand that going back to Beit El for Yaakov Avinu was a sublime and unique, of course, religious experience. He left Eretz Yisrael from Beit El, and his return to Eretz Yisrael, even though there were a variety of events, none of them can be compared to returning to Beit El. This is sort of like, this I would say is a vindication. Yaakov is not less than the Yaakov who came back to Eretz Yisrael, is not less than the Yaakov who left Eretz Yisrael. HaKadosh Baruch Hu grants both of these personalities some kind of special recognition. So, Kumalei Beit El Veshev Sham Vasei Sham Mizbeach Lakela Nirai Lecha So this is intimacy. Right? Vasei Sham Mizbeach Lakem So HaKadosh Baruch Hu who helped Yaakov who directed Yaakov who was concerned about Yaakov is now going to be intimate with Yaakov as HaKadosh Baruch Hu was intimate when Yaakov Avinu left. So it's really the intimacy which is remarkable and not just the mifgash, the communication between Yaakov Avinu and, and HaKadosh Baruch Hu. So everything about Yaakov Avinu is very special including the way that the relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu is described to us. When you ran away, I mean, it's the same. Uh, that's the one of the reasons that Yahweh Avinu experienced the presence of God when he left Eretz Israel was that he would be able to know when he came back to Eretz Israel who he was. Was he the same? Is it? Does he still bear the mantle of Abraham and Yitzchak? And apparently a Kurdish who was telling Yaakov you know, that yes he did. And this this experience was going to be restated, re-experienced. So we discussed this a little bit. This is a difficult pasuk, it's hard to understand. How, how the people who were with Yaakov Avinu, if Yaakov Avinu was such a special person, would be carrying around idols. Right? So you know that Rashi says that the idols were the booty of the battle in Shechem. That, uh, uh, okay, I mean, you know, whatever it is, what Rashi means is to say is that this is kind of unreasonable, it's unexpected, and uh, we'll give it some sort of an interpretation. We'll downgrade it. But that's what the Pasuk says. Pasuk Gimel. So 
So this is what uh, Yaakov Avinu explains to his entourage, his family, his children, etc., that the time has come to clean up the act, so to speak. Right? Because God has promised this visitation with me. So we can't just carry around uh, idols. Even if you say the idols are artifacts or... Uh, you know, it, you just can't, it doesn't surpass it somehow, right? So that's what Yaakov Avinu says. And so, Yaakov et kol Okay, so there's some kind of a story. He took them, he buried them. Uh, this is what this is what Hakadosh Baruch Hu, This is what the Yaakov Avinu did. What he said. So I mean, of course, the word is out. Yaakov Avinu is uh, the master of all that he possesses. He's had an encounter with Esav. No, Yaakov Avinu is a special person, and everybody, all the nations in the area, took cognizance of this. Pasudvav, vayavo Yaakov Musa. So now, the Pesach tells us, as it does several times in Breshit, about the name. That the name of the place was Luz, and we call it Beitel. And, who Beitel, who Klechol Ha'am Asher Imo. They all came to Beitel. Pesach Zayin Vayiven Sham Nizbeach Vikral HaMakom El Beitel. Kisham niglu elav elokim v'archol v'tnei v'tnei achiv. So this is the story. This is the story. It's a it's a significant story. It's a noble story. It explains the meaning of things. That if you can understand or think, why was Yaakov wandering? Why did he have to leave? It was in order to come back. And you know the Ramban says it, and the Zohar says it, but the, the Ramban, in his commentary, says that Yaakov Avinu was paving the way. A kind of a ma'aseh avot siman l'banim. That galut and gu'ulah also has to be kind of predetermined. There has to be a program that would indicate clearly that B'nai Yisrael of the Galut are going to necessarily become B'nai Yisrael of the Gula. And, of course, Yaakov Avinu is seen as the one who created this program. He created, which I guess means, I guess means, you know, when Am Yisrael was exiled, they had two choices. I mean, there was the obvious choice. And that was to say that history had come to an end. Because after all, if you think that Am Yisrael is defined by components like Eretz Yisrael and Beit HaMikdash, I'm not talking about goodness and badness, or punishment, or lack of punishment, I'm talking about what is it that defines Am Yisrael? If you were standing there, 
את חורבן, חורבן בית ראשון, חורבן בית שני. So you had an option. People might have thought, people might have thought, apparently, it's been a good run, but it's over. It's over because we can't really be the nation of Israel without a Beit HaMikdash and without Eretz Yisrael. And even though not everybody was kicked out of Eretz Yisrael, still, and even the Chorim Ba'yachidni, there were Jews left in the Galil here and there, nevertheless, we lost possession of Eretz Yisrael. The Torah refers to it over and over and over again as a nachala, an inheritance. And what you can inherit, you can give over as an inheritance. And suddenly, I wasn't able to give to my children what I had received from my parents. So Am Yisrael had the option. Remember, I'm explaining Yaakov Avinu. Remember Yaakov Avinu? Am Yisrael as a collective entity had the option of saying that Jewish history perhaps has come to an end. After all, all the signs were there. And what did Am Yisrael somehow miraculously opt to think? That in spite of the difficult situation that they were in, they opted to think that they would return. Now, the return would be uh, uh, shortly after Churban Bayit Rishon, or the return would be after a very long time after Churban Bayit Sheni. But those stubborn Jews never stopped thinking that they would return. <clears throat> now, the way the Zohar looks at this, also the Ramban. I always say also the Ramban because the, uh, the Ramban doesn't quote, as you know, doesn't quote the Zohar. But, but it's the same idea. The same idea that we were programmed. We were programmed. You know, like normal people, when the house falls down, they say, we better move. Crazy people, when they see the house fall down, they say, we can still live there. Right? You have to be crazy. So we were pre-programmed crazy. It was we said. We said it. We didn't stop saying it. Right? We said it again and again. And people davened. Right? People davened three times a day. And they didn't say, what are we doing? I mean, until the 19th century, which is a long time, you know, until, you know, after this whole davening business started. People didn't say, this is crazy. Or, you know, it's never going to happen. Which is what reasonable people would have said. But crazy people say, no, no, we'll be right there, we're going back, we're going back. Imagine after 1900 years, people still say, we're going back, we're going back. It was a pre-programmed return. Like, like we were created as, we, as everybody else was created, but we were genetically induced to think that it's going to we're going to return. Who did that genetic rewiring for us? That was Yaakov Avinu. That was Yaakov Avinu. When did it happen? Here at Beit It's almost as though Yaakov Avinu proves in history 
that even though we, we left Eretz Yisrael, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is waiting for us to come back. And if HaKadosh Baruch Hu is waiting for us to come back, so I'd be obviously going to come back. This is a kind of programming that took place, and we see it in the Zohar, and as I said, we see it in the Ramban. This is, this is like a pshat. So that these psukim that we've just read, by way of introduction, actually, are some of the noblest psukim in the Torah. Because it does not just describe an event. It describes an essential change in a community, in a people, that kept them distinct. But what is it that makes the people, Jews like that, and not like everybody else? I mean, it's not just doing things in the name of religion. A lot of people do that. But they're more reasonable about, you know, things like that. When it didn't work for the Catholics, so they said, okay, you don't, you don't need Jerusalem. You don't even need Rome. You don't need anything, in fact. As long as you keep paying taxes to the central command. So that's reasonable. We always were unreasonable. What made us unreasonable? Yaakov Avinu. When did Yaakov Avinu make us unreasonable? Right here. Right there we became the unreasonable people. But all of this, I tell you by way of introduction to that which I really want to talk about tonight. Even though you may have thought from my enthusiasm that that's what I really wanted to talk about, but no, I don't want to talk about that. I just can't help myself. But I want to talk about something else. This is what I want to talk about. Pasuk Chet. Pasuk Chet comes after Pasuk Zion, after Pasuk Vav, after Pasuk Hay, right? It's a continuation, the same story. Look at Pasuk Chet. Vatamot Dvora Meineket Rivka. Translation. Dvorah. Like, it's like, you know, sometimes in the Tanakh, some character comes along, you never heard of him. You know where he came from. You don't know where he's going to. You don't know the point. Here's Dvorah. Who's Dvorah? Meineket Rivka. Rivka. Rivka is the mother of Yaakov. Meineket Rivka, let's say it means uh, aide de camp. Like she's like uh, her gopher or shalish, they like to say in Israel, which is a way of saying gopher. She died? Okay. Where'd she come from? What's a part in the story? How did she get honorable mention in the Torah? I mean, it's absolutely remarkable. Right? There are people who would actually pay lots of money to get a Pesach in the Torah. This is it. What is it? How did she get in there? How did she get in there? No matter what you think uh, about the reasonableness of things in the Torah sometimes, I mean, uh, totally wacky. There's a story. The story makes sense. I read the story. It's Yaakov Avidu, Beit El, spiritual highs. But that's not enough that she died. But Okay? 
I mean, everybody's got to be buried someplace. I guess this was the nearest the cemetery or something. I mean, is this like important to us that she was that she died and she was buried below Beit El? Now, I don't know what happened, but generally speaking, my impression is that when in the Torah a place is named, or a person is named, or a place that some, it's because something happened. I mean, what happened? What was Dvorah, what's the message of Dvorah? I mean, what did she have to say? Okay, let's look at the Ramban. We'll try to learn the Ramban. The Ramban, you know, as usual, has a wonderful sense of pshat, and, uh, uh, you know, just reads the Pesukim so well. I just want to remind you that this Pasuk called Pasuk Chet is part of the group of Pesukim that brings Yaakov Avinu back to the experience he had at Beit Ev. That's important to remember. But how much Borat may naked Rivka? Loya dati lama nechnasa pasuka zebein, by Krala Makoma, obey del, obey, by Yalokim, Elokim el Yaakov Od, which is the next pasuk. He says, I don't know what this pasuk is doing here. Vesik binyanacher, shaya bevatachat, vemekomechat. So, like, what, not only, I don't know what it's doing here, but it's disturbing. It's like in the middle, in media rest. It's like you didn't finish telling me about Yaakov Avinu and Beit El, and you put in the pasuk about Dvorah. I don't know who she is. Ki Yaakov Beit El, but not Mizbech. I call her Makom El Beit El. V'nirel alakim shavu varechoto. The Lama who sam. Hakatuf hazed betochin yad echad. He says, he says, this pasuk not only doesn't it tell me anything that I want to know, but it disturbs me because it's in the middle of the story, and I want to. I'd rather go on to the continuation of the story than listen to somebody tell me about Zvora who died. I mean, it's like you know. You go in your shalim sometimes, they have all these things stuck on the wall about people who died, Rahman al Islam. So you don't know, you don't have to stop and start reading them the ear to see if you missed out on somebody that you know, or you're better off walking by. It's the same thing, it's like it's like a sign, Zvara died. So the Ramban says, There's nothing in the Pasuk that can help me to understand. So I've got to fall back on Chachamim, on a Medrash. Sheyemoz Lemitat Rivka. Imagine that. That this Pasuk is talking about, really, in a hidden way, is talking about the death of Rivka. Who's Rivka? Yaakov Avinu's mother. Oh, Yaakov Avinu's mother, I can imagine. When Yaakov Avinu was having a cathartic experience at Beidel, maybe he'll think about his mother. Or certainly he'll think about the fact that his mother died. But, uh, you know, all the Rabban is doing is exchanging one question for another question. If, in fact, it was Rivka, 
So why does it say Rivka? What does it say Dvorah? His question was, how could it be? What's Dvorah got to do with anything? Who is she? Question. Answer? Oh, she's really Rivka. She says, oh, great. I mean, so that's no way to deal with the text because if she's really Rivka, so then uh, say Rivka. What are you, what are you beating around the bush? Velama kara shem amakom ahu alom bachut kei mechiv anaka alamei neked askena shikra shem amakom alav. He says because I mean the meineked. I mean she's a nice person and, and it was good to have her around. But then we're sorry that she died. But we're not going to rename God's land because the meineked of Rivka died. Avol Yaakov. So now the Rabban reminds us of a particular moment in the relationship. I mean, he's not answering your question about Dvorah. Right? He didn't answer that question yet. But he said, it will assume that Dvorah really means Rivka. So what better thing is there to think about if we agree that Yaakov is the one who created Galut and that Galut you maintain the notion of Gula that was created by Yaakov Avidu who created Yaakov Avidu in that regard that was Rivka because Rivka after all was the one who insisted that he should run away she came to him and she said your brother Esau wants to kill you. So she could have said, she could have said in a conversation, and said, look, your brother Asa wants to kill you, but don't worry, we're going to depend on God, and now that we have the blessing of, uh, of your father Yitzchak, don't worry. Nothing will happen. He'll come running after you, fall into a hole, he'll break his neck, and that'll be the end of it. But she didn't say that. She said, you better run away. So according to the Rabban, according to the Rabban, this Galut Gulat kind of uh, genetic coding was ultimately created by by Rivka I mean Rivka knew something she knew that Yaakov had to go so she said whatever she said she said listen Yaakov you know you're a 90 pound weekly you don't go to the gym you don't do anything you don't run around how are you going to stand up to Esau you better, you better leave so he left so, so Yaakov left, but really what Rivka was saying to him, because Rivka was also a prophetess, was in the grand design of things. It's nothing to do with Esau, it's nothing to do with, with, with the easy come and easy go, it's nothing to do with all of that. But you have to go, because you have to create a people who is able to deal with the oppression of Galut. That's what you have to say. So when Yaakov really came back to Beit and he was like, he was successful. I mean, he succeeded. I mean, after all, if God was going to help Yaakov Avinu fight against Esau and his army, when he came back there in Israel, I'm just going back a step. He certainly could help Yaakov Avinu not even leave. But if we accept the principle that Yaakov Avinu had to leave, and he had to come back, so at the moment of his return, this is what I'm trying to explain to Rabbanu, at the moment of Yaakov Avinu's return to Eretz Yisrael, who is he going to think about? And he'll think about Rivka. And the idea that she died at that time. I mean, it wasn't just that Rivka died, but the mother of this enterprise died. 
and certainly she deserves to be mentioned, but still don't understand. How comes Bora? Who's to Bora? How did she get it? Rivka's great. I mean, I understand Rivka, but I still don't understand, I still don't understand Devora. In other words, the sacrifice of the mother, the sacrifice of Rivka, she sent him because she had to send him, and then she lost out on seeing her own son. So we know that in these acts of chesed, achnasat orchid, and nichum avelim, that in the way Chazal understood it was that Hakadosh Baruch Hu participated, and the reason for that is the reason for that is that you would always come to false deterministic uh, uh, positions vis-a-vis other people who are uh, uh, in, in unfortunate situations. Like a person could say, you know, like a poor, why should I give money to the poor? Because if God didn't want them to be poor, they wouldn't be poor, right? That, that's like a kind of a swara that people, people could have. So in Bereshit you see that people who that chesed is being done even by a Kodesh that's, that's how it was put into the world, that it's a knee-jerk reaction. It's not a svara. It's not because you always can determine that somebody needs the help or needs it, but everything is, even relative help is considered to be chesed. berkat avelim that HaKadosh Baruch Hu himself blessed Abraham on the death of Sora and blessed Yaakov on the death of Rivka with a birkat of a lid. So there's even a proof that you see from the text that when Yaakov Avinu went back, he went back to his father, but not to his mother, but his mother had already died. Ki hi asho rachatotam, sham, vadom remed lo kol ha-tobav yitzchak vajotah, tzival kol ha-lechachem. Because after all, we know that Rivka determined Jewish history at this time, and not Yitzchak. Yitzchak accepted the position of Rivka, even though you understand that Yitzchak oh, the nature of Yitzchak could not accept the position of Rivka, because when Yitzchak when there was a famine in the land, I mean I know you remember but I'll just tell you anyway so that I'll remember when there was a famine in the land Yitzchak wanted to go to Mitzray now Yitzchak had a powerful reason for wanting to go to Mitzrayim, not only because there was food in Mitzrayim and there was no food in Eretz Canaan, but that was what his father, Abraham, had done. And following in the footsteps of his father was something that seemed reasonable to Yitzchak. 
וילכו שניהם יחדיו, בזמן עוני עקידת יצחק. But it's everything. So there had to be heavenly intervention, הקודש ברוך הוא had to come and say to יצחק, גור בארץ הזאת. You are not going to leave Eretz Yisrael. So when the question came up again, Rivka comes to Yitzchak and says, we've got to send them away. What she said to Yitzchak, we don't know. I mean, maybe she said to him, Galut Gullah. Maybe she said to him, Esav is a terror and we have to protect our son. We don't know exactly what she said. But we understand that this could not have been the instigation on the instigation of Yitzchak because Yitzchak was committed by a Kodesh Baruch to staying in Eretz Yisrael so certainly Yitzchak would think that his children should be committed to staying in Eretz Yisrael it would be hard for Yitzchak to understand I'm not I'm speaking about Yitzchak as though he was like a regular person but I don't mean that I just mean that that's how we talk about it right but Yitzchak was Yitzchak right at Olot Tmimah He was, uh, he, he, he represents a unique spiritual achievement, but I mean if Yitzchak, you say to Yitzchak, look, you have two sons, a good one and a bad one. The good one is not going to be able to stay in Eretz Yisrael all his life. And the bad one is, I'm sure that that would present a dilemma of sorts for Yitzchak. So Rivka, who had this vision of Galut and Gullah, She's the one who instigated it. She's the one who pushed the Yaakov to leave. And so certainly having achieved, this is what the Ramban says, having achieved what was supposed to be achieved, certainly Rivka would be, inter- uh, Yaakov would be interested in seeing his mother. To say, like, we did it. We did it, Ma. Right? We're the winners on this, uh, on this thing. But there's no, she wasn't there. So it's a raya that she was already dead. So, okay, so Chazal say, <coughs> Chazal say that she died at this time in Dvor, when Dvorad died. Okay, the Katav Rashi. You see the next paragraph starts with the words of Katav Rashi. Ulefisha limud yomota sheloit haluluota briot. So there's another theme. Halimud yomota. Right? Because we're still we're left with the question. If Rivka was Rivka, and if Yaakov was Yaakov because of Rivka, and if Rivka died at that time. So why doesn't the Torah just tell us that she died? She died? Why does the Torah tell us that Zvorah died? Zvorah is somebody else. Zvorah is a non-important personality who was buried in Alom Bachut. And what we're supposed to think at that time is Rivka. We're going to think Rivka. <coughs> Because Apparently, I guess this means, Chazal say this, that if you wanted to curse a dead person, you do it on the yard site. That's the time. That's the time when you focus on them, right? Maybe that's also why we, we're very uh, intent on making the yard site a special day in the memory of the departed. But this is what the Ramban says, this is what Chazal say. So that Yikalulu Ota Briot. Keres sheyatsami nena esav, right? That's what they would say. They say Rivka. Rivka is not like Sora. Sora had one son, 
And that one sun was the most wondrous sun that you could imagine. It's true that Abram had another son, Yishmael, but not Sarah. She only, so in other words, from the point of view of children, like the children versus the parents, Rivka is kind of a downgrading. Because she had also a son named Esau. Keres is the Klala. Keres, he had Sami Menu Esau. Like people go around and say, oh, Rivka. She's the mother of Asa. So what can you think that's so good about Rivka? So Chazal say, therefore the, the Torah, the, the Torah didn't want to tell us exactly the day of Rivka's death because they didn't want to encourage all of these characters to go around and say things, bad things about her. And similarly, also, mitat le'ah is not mentioned. This is what Chazal mean. They don't mean that it's not mentioned zero. It means it's only mentioned in a remez. In a remez means that you can unravel what the Torah says. You know what the Torah really means. So what does the Torah say? Torah. What does the Torah really mean? Rivka. So the Torah says, says Dvorah died, and it really means Rivka died, right? Rivka died. So he says, since in any event, so it's mentioned, the Ramban says, I mean, who are we fooling? If there's a remez, and if the remez of Zvora is Rivka, so even the, even the bad guys will know the remez. I mean, what's the difference? Wasn't so they'll say whatever they want to say about Rivka. He says, he says, V'tam haklalai no He says, also this idea that they're going to come to curse Rivka, a no it's not clear. Sharei iskiru b'mitat Yitzchak. Ve'ikbiroto esav. Because after all, by Yitzchak, it says that Esau also participated. So what do I, what, if, if everybody knows that Esau was the son of Yitzchak, so they also know that Esau was the son of Rivka. I mean, what, 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 how can you hide it? How can you put this out of mind? Maybe what the Chachamim meant was, that she was bereft of due honor when she died. How so? Ki Yaakov Yaakov obviously had not arrived in time for her death, to, to, to be there when she died. And Esau hated his mother, even though he didn't hate his father, because his father was, I guess, duped, or it seemed that he was duped. That's what he says. He says, Yitzchak couldn't see. And so, who was going to go? He's going to a funeral? He's going to his wife's funeral? He can't see anything. He doesn't know where he's going. This is what the Ramban says. So that really... They didn't want to mention that no one came to the funeral. 
And that's why they only mentioned the funeral of Dvorah. Because Dvorah, even though she was a lesser personality and character in the Torah, she received kavod at the time of her death. So the way that the Torah decided to mention the death of Rivka was at a funeral in which the departed was given honor. Instead, as the Rabban says, instead of mentioning the death of Rivka and making us think of the fact that no one in her family was able to come and give her due honor. And the Ramban is, like, the Ramban is kind of fabricating this a little bit. He's making it up. So he says, In a similar manner, in a similar manner, I have found, right, in Varim Rabbah, Amru, Atamotzei, Kshemeta Rivka, Amrim, Manipokamo, who is going to go out before her? Who's in the entourage that's going to be with her when she goes on the Levaya? Who are the Melavim on the Levaya? Abraham met. Yitzchak Yosheh Bebayit Veinav Kehot. Abraham is dead. Yitzchak can't see. Yaakov Halachlo Padan Aram. Yaakov is not around. Yipok Esav Rishia Kamov. And what will happen, Eli Esav, that, that terrible person, the Rasha, he's going to come to the funeral. V'yemru b'ryata l'itim b'azya d'hochadein y'ankin v'yemru. This is a kind of Eretz Yisrael Aramaic. V'yemru. And they will say, b'ryata, right, b'ryata, the people, the people, l'itim b'azya, l'itim are curses. Bizayon, right? The insulting curses. The ha kedai nyankin. And everybody's going to say, everybody will say, who is Rivka? Oh, here's her son. The only one who shows up is Asa. So that's Rivka. She's defined as the mother of Asa. So they cursed her. Ma asu hotsiu mitatabalayla. So they took out her bed, her death bed at night and buried her so that there shouldn't be an event of burial in which Esau would be the only participant because that would lead that would lead to this terrible situation where the people would curse curse him so Rabbi Yosef ben Hanina says, look, it was embarrassing. The whole situation became an embarrassing situation. And therefore, the Torah didn't want to mention her death. Because then somebody would say, who was there? Who came? And we'd have to say, nobody. Imagine Rifta Imenu died. No one came to the funeral. So the Torah didn't want to say that. So instead, the Torah mentioned the death of Dvorah, which was honored and was done properly, and Yaakov Avinu even named the place after her burial. The proof is that Yaakov Avinu called it Alon Bachut. Right? Alon is a tree, 
and Bachut is wailing and crying. But the Medrash says that Bachut is plural. There's Bacha, Bachut. Uh, I, I don't know uh, what the grammarians would say, but the Medrash says that it's a kind of a plural form. That Yaakov Avino said, we're crying twice. And that's what the Medrash means. That HaKadosh Baruch Hu came to Yaakov Edu and Bercho gave him the bracha Berkat Avelim HaMakom Yenachem So who was he? Who was he looking for a Nechama for? Clearly not Torah. He was looking for the Nechama for his his mother. So that the Rambam is trying to convince us that as likely, as unlikely as it seems as unlikely as it seems at first, what really happened is that Rivka died. Dvorah also died. And Dvorah was buried. I mean, that's all true. But what the Torah really wants to tell us is that Rivka died. And that there's an issue about Rivka. And the issue has to do with Esav. It has to do with the position of the mother vis-a-vis the child. Because if you remember, we said that Avram Avinu and Sarah invented the idea in the Middle East that children have two parents. It was an invention. It was never true before. In, before Avram and Sarah, women had babies. But they were, if they were sons, certainly they were the children of their father and not the children of their mother. And Avram and Sarah invented this idea that children are the children of both parents. Which I imagine that most people here think is correct. But you have to try to imagine that not everybody always had that thought in mind. And because Esau was either the only one who came, or according to the other p- position, they buried her at night alone to prevent Esau from coming. But everybody was thinking at that time when she died, unfortunately, they were thinking about Esau. And that she's the mother of Esau. They couldn't get that out of their minds. And as much goodness as she brought into the world, and as powerful her her reasoning was in sending Yaakov to, uh, to Padan Aram so that he could come back. It was not enough to, to, to quiet the people who couldn't understand how Rivka could have such a son. Then he gets back at the end, this wonderful Rambam. He gets back at the end to Dvorah. Remember we started with Dvorah? So he says, what was she doing there, Dvorah? Dvorah was Meneket Rivka. And Rivka, after all, was in Eretz Israel. And whatever Meneket means, I mean, like aide de camp or something, she was her, her assistant. She helped her. I mean, of course, a Meneket is a, a wet nurse, but I mean, I guess she did a good job and she stayed around. 
And she was with Rivka. She worked for, for, for Rivka. So she said, what did you do with Yaakov? Ki Acharei had listened to this. Finally, the Ramban, I think the Ramban knows that, uh, that he's led us into a kind of a difficult path here. After all, Rivka was one of the Imahot, highly regarded, the wife of Yitzchak. I mean, I don't have to go into this all know, too much. I mean, Rivka is Rivka. And here he's done, what is the Ramban done? He's saying, she didn't deserve to be mentioned in the Torah as having died because the people would hear her name or hear mention her would curse her for bringing Asaf into the world. So he has to say something. He has to say something to the Ramban. Listen to what the Ramban says. We're in the, the bottom of the left-hand column, the... Sort of the last paragraph, Vaitarifka, count the lines, three, six, eleven lines from the bottom. Eleven lines from the bottom, Vaitarifka. Vaitadvara, I'm sorry, Vaitadvara, I'm Yaakov. What is she doing there? How did she get into the camp of Yaakov? Maybe after she came to Eretz Israel with Rivka, she returned to the place she came from, which was Padana Ram in the house of Labak. And now, of course, she decided in her old age that she'd like to go back to Eretz Yisrael to see her mistress. So, Tvorah was in Padana Ram, and now she's coming back like a simple story. Like this is a story the Rabban said. Maybe that's the story. It's not mentioned in the Torah. Because it's not of tremendous significance. I mean, it could happen. Such a thing could happen. Or maybe she naturally adopted uh, or worked with the children, the older children of Yaakov. Maybe. She's not even the same Meineket, the same wet nurse that went with Rivka originally when Rivka went to meet with Yitzchak. The Ramban is talking like, you know, like lunch. You know, you're sitting on Shabbos and you're eating lunch. And, and you open up the discussion in the floor. Oh, well, where did you come from, Dvorah? Somebody has an opinion, because to have an opinion, you don't have to know anything. Right? That's like a, like a, you know, a, a very strong position. Hey, maybe she did this, maybe she did that. You know, maybe she's going to see a doctor in, uh, in, in Shechem, who, who cures this or that. Maybe she had a backache, maybe she had a fight with love on you. You can say whatever you want. He'll say whatever. This is what the Ramban is doing. He's saying, maybe it's this, maybe it's that, maybe it's the other thing. <coughs> So he says, I don't like Rabbi Moshe Rabbi Moshe Rabbi Moshe Hadashan is in Rashi. Is in Rashi. And Rashi, this Rashi escaped us. Right? I, I somehow I I didn't uh, I didn't ask them to print it up. But what is the Rabbi Moshe Darshan? 
What does Rabbi Moshe Adarshan say? If you look at Perak of Zion, you see the Pesach at the top of the page, the Pesukim at the top of the page. There are two Pesukim that I quote. Ulayim Usheni Avi. Yaakov Avinu is expressing doubt about whether his mother's plan is a good plan. His mother said, look, you'll go in, you'll fool your father, you can't see so well, you'll say you're Aesop. She's He's expressing doubt. He, Yaakov, is not sure he could pull it off. Right? Yaakov sat in yeshiva, he was learning all the time, he didn't go to acting school, he didn't, uh, you know, he, he, he really didn't know about these kinds of things, so he says, Maybe my father will feel my head, my, my body somehow, and everybody knows that Esau was hirsut, uh, uh, and Yaakov was smooth, and maybe that'll give it away. And he'll decide that I'm crazy. And instead of getting a bracha, I'll get the opposite, I'll get a klala. Right? So Rivka was so convinced that she was doing the right thing. And you have to remember the things that are said in the Torah are serious. Otherwise they would not be reported to us. And when Rivka said, Alai Alai she meant it. And it's not clear to this day, even though we're not going back to that parasha, whether Yitzchak did know or he didn't know. Whether Yitzchak understood that Yaakov was lying or fooling him, but didn't know. And Yaakov said, I'm going to be cursed for this. I'm not going to get through it. And Rivka said, Alai kilalatcha bini. Alai kilalatcha bini. Okay? That's what she said. And we don't know what that means. One more pasuk. Ad shuv af achicha mimeka. Pasuk memhei, in the same pair. Who's saying that? Rivka to Yaakov. To Yaakov. In other words, Rivka understands as Yaakov understands that as long as the problem of Esau has not been solved. In other words, there's like a, there's like a, a, a catch here in this whole thing. Yaakov went to Padan Aram. When is he supposed to come back? So Yaakov didn't know when he was supposed to come back because as long as Esau was still there, what difference did it make? The situation hasn't changed. Why should he, why should he not go back? So he, so, so, Mitha uh, says to him, you're not going to know on your own when to come back. Vishalachti ulekachticha misha.
So, Yaakov had to be brought back. He could not be brought, he did, could not come on his own. He had to be brought back. One of the interpretations is Alai kilalatcha bini. Alai kilalatcha bini. So according to this Medrash, according to the way the Ramban learned the Psukim, that is exactly what happened. That Esau was able to destroy the family of Yitzchak in part. He was not able, as he wished, to destroy Yaakov upon his return. But he was able, to a certain extent, to destroy Rivka, his mother. In other words, when Rivka said to Yaakov, you have to go away. So Yaakov may have said to his mother, but when will I be able to come back? There'll always be Asaph. He'll always be there, ready to kill me. There'll be a time when you're able to come back. Because there'll be a time that the Alai Kilalatcha Bini will be ready for fulfillment. Alai Kilalatcha Bini for Mifka means that the people were ready to curse her and say she had a son whose name was Asa. So that the anger and the destructive tendency of Asa was either sublimated or deflected from Yaakov of Vinu to Rivka herself. And that's the story. The Avelut of Yaakov of Vinu was of such great significance because he was not just crying about the death of his mother. But he was crying about the fact that she took upon herself the hatred of Esau, so to speak. That the Kalala that people saw in all these relationships was transferred from Esau's energy against Yaakov to somehow people associating Esau with Rivka. So the Alai Kilalat Chabini actually happened. And the Torah reflects on that by not mentioning the death of Rivka. And by mentioning instead the death of Dvorah, who was not a very significant person, but who represented to Yaakov an opening for Avelut for his mother. Because it would have been illegitimate, almost, for Yaakov Avinu to mourn his mother, because that would again bring people to say, ah, oh, she's the mother of Asa, that terrible family that she created. And so there was a subterfuge 
Yaakov Avinu, according to the Ramban, according to the Chazal, the Ramban quotes that Yaakov Avinu had to sort of indicate or imply that his Avelut was for Dvorah and not for and not for Rifka. and that is the fulfillment of the Alai Kililatcha Bini. And that's what enabled, ultimately, Yaakov Avinu to return to Eretz Yisrael and to live in a world where the hatred between Yaakov and Esau was somewhat diminished because it was taken out by proxy who was all taken out on Yifka, he made it. Good chance.